Hi, I'm Kelly. And I'm Carrie. And we're Identical Twins. We are so excited to talk to you about all things related to church music here on Hymn Talk, Twin Talk. Now each week we will break down a hymn. It could be an old favorite, or it could be one you've never heard of. But it is our prayer that you will worship with us no matter what song it is. So let's get started here on Hymn Talk, Twin Talk. Good morning, everyone. Good morning, everyone. Uh, So happy to see some new faces, some returning faces. It's always wonderful um, to stand up here and look out and see smiling faces. So thank you for joining us this morning at FBC Reading. If you do not already know, I'm Kelly. I'm Carrie. And and we're we're identical twins. And we are the hosts of a podcast called Him Talk, Twin Talk. Um, so do you know that? Do you know the Hymn Talk, Twin Talk? Talk? Do you know this new? podcast? Are we familiar with okay. it? Okay, 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 okay. okay. Yeah. Um, we are so grateful to our church family, to Pastor Joseph, who they graciously allow us, you graciously allow us to come and speak every so often on behalf of our podcast. Yeah, and, and we give our own little Him Talk, Twin Talk perspective. So we just released episode 78, and we actually got the opportunity to focus on a hymn that we had never even heard of. Right. The hymn request came from a loyal listener, Mm -hmm. and he said that he sings the hymn all the time at his church, but neither of us in all our years of going to church, we did not know the hymn. So we're curious if you know it. I know. We're wondering if people here know it. The hymn is called Lead Lead Kindly Light. Light. Episode 78. Any hands? And that's oh, maybe. Another loyal listener. Do you just know it because you listen to the episode, though? <laughs> okay, good, okay. <laughs> episode 78. Okay, so it's not quite crickets. We thought right. maybe, maybe if crickets. we asked the yeah. question, there would be crickets. Not quite crickets. Thank right. you, Jill. Um, yeah, so we love the opportunity to learn about new hymns. Mm-hmm. Episode 78, if you haven't listened to it already, it was great. And what we uncovered about this old but new to us hymn was funny, insightful, and actually just a little bit controversial. So you have to listen. We learned that the hymn did not pass the, the Fred, Fred test. test. Do so, you know what the Fred test is? If you don't know what the Fred test is, you'll just have to listen to the episode. You'll have to listen. <laughs> yes. Um, but we also love when, obviously, we get to do an episode on a, a much-loved hymn, an episode that you know, just as near and dear to our hearts. If you haven't listened yet, check out episode 32. Um, this is the awesome, majestic hymn, Holy, Holy, Holy. Or episode 18 is something sweet and sentimental, the worshipful hymn, The, the Old Rugged, Rugged Cross. Learning about those old favorites have added so much to our own worship time. And that is our hope and prayer with the podcast, that Mm. other people are listening and adding those hymns to their worship time. And there's just not a shortage of hymns. There are so many out there. We have 78 hymns behind us. And really an endless amount ahead of us. Right. So with our Hymn Talk, Twin Talk perspective, we're taking a look at Jesus' Sermon Sermon on on the the Mount. Mount. Now, one could say that these words from Jesus' sermon are some of the most important words that Jesus ever said. Jesus gave instructions to the people who were listening. He told them how to live, how to treat people. He told us that those who hunger and thirst for righteousness will be satisfied. He told us to rejoice and be glad, for our reward is in heaven. He told us to give freely to the needy. And he taught us how to pray, forgive forgive our our debts, 
as we forgive our debtors. And last week, Pastor Joseph talked about how we are to fast, how we are to live for the Lord, but not to do it as a show, but just in private, and then God would reward us. Now, looking back at this quick synopsis of the Sermon on the Mount, there is so much more to it. Um, It seems that this next passage of Scripture that we will be reading is the logical next step. Again, this passage may be familiar to you. Mm -hmm. Maybe you've heard it a bunch of times, or or maybe it's brand new today. Right. Either Either way. way. We pray that God would open our eyes to a new truth about him, and that you would leave here renewed and ready to serve. So let's jump right into the passage. This is Matthew 6, 19 to 24. Jesus says to his followers, Do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth, where moth and rust destroy, and where thieves break in and steal, but lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven, where neither moth nor rust destroys, and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. The eye is the lamp of the body, so if your eye is healthy, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eye is bad, your whole body will be full of darkness. If then the light in you is darkness, how great is the darkness. No one can serve two masters, for either he will hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You You cannot cannot serve God and money. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. As we prepared for today, we talked so much about which hymn we were going to talk about. Mm -hmm. Now, if you talked to us last Sunday, our original plan was, I surrender all. I surrender all to thee, my blessed Savior. I surrender all. I mean, it's a good one, right? It's a good one, right? Right? But we thought we would just surrender to God all that we have in this world. Jesus is really the only one who can truly satisfy. But then later, a couple of days went by, and we talked about the hymn, Take My Life and Let It Be. Because there's that awesome verse in it. Take my silver and my gold, not a mite would I withhold. Not a might would I withhold. I mean, giving God our silver and gold. That's like putting your treasures in heaven, right? So that was great. And then we also talked about the song that we already sang this morning. Right. It is well with my soul. Right. To be content with what we have already, knowing that God will provide. It is well. It is well with my and we even talked about the song that Chris sang earlier. Thank you, Chris. It, it was, was so perfect. beautiful. Yeah. You can have the whole world, but give me Jesus. As followers of the word, we, we don't want to chase after the things of this world. We, we want, want Jesus. Jesus. 
So see, we had so many options. Mm -hmm. And depending on when you spoke to us this week, you may have heard one of these ideas. Right. Uh, and all those hymns are good and there's value in them, mm -hmm. but it seemed that God was leading us in a certain direction. Mm -hmm. There is so much in this world that is vying for our attention. And we live such busy lives that we find ourselves just running and hurrying, chasing and competing, worrying and stressing. And we thought the message we needed to hear today was about where we put our focus. Oh soul, are you weary and troubled? No light in the darkness you see. There's light for a look at the Savior, and life more abundant and free. Turn your eyes upon Jesus. Look full in his wonderful face. And the things of earth will grow strangely dim in the light of his glory and grace. We thought about this chorus, about our focus. Uh, this chorus really sums up what this passage that Jesus was speaking about, what it's really all about. We have to turn, turn to, to Jesus. Jesus. Now, our natural human path the one that is easy, the one that the world encourages us to be on, the one that is not facing Jesus. We are sinners. We are a people full of sin. So this is an uncomfortable truth, and it's hard to say, and it's hard to hear, but it's the truth. We are, are sinners. sinners. So listen to the psalmist's words. This is Psalm 14, verses 2 to 3. The Lord looks down from heaven on the children of man, to see if there are any who understand, who, who seek, seek after, after God. God. They have all turned, turned aside. aside. Together they have become corrupt. There is none who does good, not, not even, even one. In the New Testament, Paul quotes from this psalm in the book of Romans. As it is written, he says, None, none is righteous, no, not, not one. Not one understands. No one seeks for God. All have turned aside. Together, they have become worthless. No one does good, not even one. The easy path is the one that the world is on. And it is a path of sin. Let's look for a minute at the Old Testament story of Sodom and Gomorrah and what happened to Lot's wife. Remember, the city of Sodom, where Lot, his wife, and his two daughters lived, was full of sin. The people had turned away from God completely, and Lot was trying to be faithful to God. When two angels appeared at Lot's doorstep, he welcomed them in, he fed them, he gave them a place to stay. But quickly, the people of Sodom tried to bring their wicked ways into Lot's house. And this is where we pick up the story in Genesis 19. The angels tried to get Lot to leave. They said, hurry, hurry up. up. 
Take your wife and your two daughters who are here. Get out. If you don't, you will be swept away when the city is destroyed. Lot didn't move right away, so the men grabbed him by the hand. They also took the hands of his wife and two daughters. They led all of them safely out of the city. The Lord had mercy on them. As soon as the angels had brought them out, one of them spoke. He said, run for your lives. Don't look back. Don't stop anywhere in the valley. Run to the mountains. If you don't, you will be swept away. By the time Lot reached Zor, the sun had risen over the land. Then the Lord sent down burning sulfur. It came down like rain on Sodom and Gomorrah. But, but Lot's wife looked back. And when she did, she became a pillar out of salt. What did Lot's wife do? Well, she disobeyed the clear instructions from the angels. She turned back. And this was more than just a glance over her shoulder. It was a look of longing that possibly indicated that she was reluctant to leave. Or that she wanted to go back. Whatever the case, she was called to desert everything, everything to, to save, save her, her life. life. But she couldn't do it. She loved her stuff. She loved her treasures on earth more than she loved the salvation of God. Her heart was more for the stuff of this world than it was for the goodness of God. And the stuff of this world, it's no different for us, except it will look different for many of us. For some, it could be material goods like clothes and shoes, and purses. For others, it could be a big fancy house with fancy cars. It could be a large bank account with a lavish lifestyle that goes with it. Whatever these earthly treasures are, Jesus is clear. He tells us they will be destroyed. Much like Lot's treasures. Moths or rust will destroy them. Thieves can steal them. If these treasures make us happy on earth, we have to understand that happiness is fleeting. They do not provide eternal happiness. When we yearn for these temporary treasures, we make them into idols, and those idols end up replacing God in our lives. In fact, for centuries after Sodom and Gomorrah, Jewish relig religious leaders um, pointed to Lot's wife as a symbol of a rebellious unbeliever. Even Jesus, in the book of Luke, when talking to his disciples, he says to them, Remember, Remember Lot's wife. Whoever tries to make his life secure will lose it, and whoever loses his life will preserve it. God, in his mercy, was rescuing Lot and his family, and he provided for them all a new, safe place to live where they could abide in his loving care. And in a similar way, we too are promised a new, safe place to live where we will spend eternity as followers of Jesus. That's where our focus should be. On where we are going. What is ahead of us. Jesus and his kingdom. Not what is behind us. Jesus tells us this in his word. And this hymn reminds us of that. that we want to remember from this hymn is that we have to turn to Jesus. And what do we turn? Our, Our eyes. eyes. 
Let's see what the Bible says next. The eye is the lamp of the body. So if your eye is healthy, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eye is bad, your whole body will be full of darkness. If then the light in, the light in you is darkness, how great is the darkness. Now, when we got to these verses, we did find it a little confusing. The eye being a lamb, the body full of darkness. So we really had to dig a little bit to see what Jesus was saying here. So Jesus is using a Hebrew idiom or an expression that would have been clearly understood by the people who were listening to him. And these idioms have been a part of the Hebrew language from biblical times until still today. Having a good, good eye... eye is to look out for the needs of others and be generous. To have a bad, bad eye is to be greedy and self-centered, blind to the needs of those around us. The Hebraic understanding of seeing goes beyond just taking in visual information in the eyes. It refers to one's outlook on life and attitude towards others. We can look at the book of Proverbs for just a little more context about the eye. This is Proverbs 28, 22. A man with an evil eye hastens after riches and does not consider that poverty will come upon him. So when Jesus is talking about the bad eye, this is what he's referring to. An eye that is turned toward riches. An eye that is greedy and covetous. So when we look at life, what do we see? Do we see fun places to visit? Places to make a buck? Places to stoke our own ego and pride? Do we focus on the treasures here on earth or is our focus on heavenly treasures? Now Jesus says that the healthy eye will fill our bodies with light and with this light we'll, we'll be, be able, able to see. He's saying that when you look upon Christ, who is the light that has come into the world, then your whole body is full of light. You will focus on Christ, walk in Christ, and you will forget about the ways of the world. Where you fix your eyes is what your heart desires. Whatever you put your eyes on, that will fill your body. We have to think that these verses about the eye, turning to Jesus, focusing on good things, not the things of the world, must have been the inspiration behind our hymn this morning. On Hymn Talk Twin Talk, we call that Hymnspiration. The hymn writer wanted to focus her eyes on Jesus. She said the things of the world would go strangely dim in the light of his glory and grace. So let's learn a little bit about this hymn writer and what brought her to this beautiful hymn, Turn Your Eyes Upon Jesus. Helen Hoarth Lemmel was born on November 14, 1863 in Wardle, England. Her father was a Methodist minister, and when she was 12, her family decided to move to America. They started in Mississippi and eventually settled in Wisconsin. Helen was a gifted singer. She regularly sang at her father's church, and eventually she was invited to other churches all over to sing throughout the Midwest. When she was an adult, she moved to Germany to study voice, and while in Germany, she met and married a wealthy European man. Upon return to the United States, Helen went on tour giving concerts. World War I had just ended, and her mixture of gospel songs and patriotic songs were just what American audiences wanted to hear. 
She, she went on to teach at the Moody Bible Institute in Chicago, the Bible Institute of LA. She eventually retired to Seattle, Washington, and she was an active member of the Ballard Baptist Church. Helen was a world traveler, a successful singer, a college professor, and then tragedy struck. She developed an affliction that resulted in her blindness. To make matters worse, her husband could not cope with the thought of a blind wife, so he abandoned her. Helen was left alone, financially destitute. We read the words of her hymn and we think she must have felt weary and troubled in her soul. Deep in her soul, sadness, confusion, and emptiness left a void that could only be filled with, with Jesus Christ. Christ. She had no one to turn to but to wholly trust in the Lord. She was materially impoverished but, but spiritually, spiritually wealthy, wealthy in Christ Jesus. She wrote more than 500 hymns and poems. She even authored a very successful book for children entitled Story of the Bible. She composed many children's musical pieces. In her later years, she was unable to write and she would invite friends over to write for her. And they would always ask her how she was doing and she was known for her pleasant and positive response. I, I am fine, fine in the, the things that count. count. That's a direct quote. <laughs> she died in 1961 at the age of 97 in Seattle, Washington. Through our research, we learned that Helen's faith was very important to her, especially after all that she had been through. And maybe she had moments of doubt, moments of uncertainty, but we think she wrote this hymn to remind her of what to do in those times. Turn your eyes to Jesus. And this isn't new advice. Helen isn't the first or the last person to tell us to keep our eyes focused on Jesus. Look at Hebrews chapter 12. Therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us also lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, looking, looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and, and is, is seated at, at the, the right hand, hand of, the of the throne of God. God. We are to lay aside the sin which clings so closely. We are to run with endurance the race that is before us and, and look to Jesus. Jesus. And in case we weren't sure, the passage goes on to tell us who Jesus is. He is the author and perfecter of our faith. He died on the cross. He rose again. And he reigns on high today. Jesus loves you. He died for you. He saved you. And now we are to live for him. And we know that this is a radical idea that goes completely against the ways of the world. Living for Jesus, a man who lived like 2,000 years ago, how is that even possible in today's day and age? What do you think the people in this day and age live for? I mean, if we asked a whole bunch of people, we would get so many different answers. What do you live for? Fame, approval, family, friends, their career, and then one very big one, money. People want to work hard and make as much money as possible. Some people want to work very little and still make as much money as possible. <laughs> yes, yes, yes. 
but they want to accumulate all the stuff. All the stuff. In the next passage, Jesus is very clear. He says, you, you cannot, cannot serve both God and money. In other words, if you are living to make money, you are, you are not, not living, living for God. For God. The Bible has a lot to say about money. In fact, I bet a lot of you, you know these Bible passages. And you could probably quote them with us. Like in Proverbs 3.9, Honor the Lord with your wealth, with the first fruits of all your crops. From the book of Matthew, It is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for someone who is rich to enter the kingdom of heaven. From Hebrews, Keep your lives free from the love of money and be content with what you have. Because God has said, never will I leave you, never will I forsake you. And honestly, there are so many more passages about money. And there has been some misinterpretation and misunderstanding about some of the passages about money. One I can think of is the passage from 1 Timothy. It says, the, the root, root of, of all evil is money. You've heard it before, right? The root of all evil is money. But, but that's actually not really what it says. Do you know what it really says? It's not that the money is the root of all evil. Wait, it's, let's see if they know. I, well, I saw Pastor I saw Pastor Joseph. I saw Pastor Joseph say it. He was like, why aren't they saying it right? <laughs> it is not money that is the root of all evil. It is the, the love, love of, of money. Money itself is not the evil part. What is evil is what people do to get it, or how it changes them once, once they, they get, get it. it. So listen to the entire passage. Instead of just taking that little clip, the love of money is the root of all evil. This is 1 Timothy 6, 9 through 10. But those who desire, desire to, to be, be rich, rich fall into temptation, into a snare, into many senseless and harmful desires that plunge people into ruin and destruction. For the love of money is a root of all kinds of evil. It is through this craving that some have wandered away from the faith and pierced themselves with many pains. So do you see what Paul is basically saying here? He's saying when the eye is turned towards money, instead of being turned towards Jesus, people are plunged to ruin and destruction. And that love of money has caused them to wander from the faith. So there is a choice here. Do, do we, we serve, serve money or, or do, do we, we serve God? God? Jesus says, no one can serve two masters. For either he will hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to one and despise the other. You, you cannot serve God and, and money. So how do you serve money? We had to ask that question. What does serving money even mean? Well, you make it your idol. You want more and more of it. You think it will provide for you. Money actually makes the same promises that God makes to us. I'll provide for you. I'll take care of you. I'll meet all of your needs. When we depend on money, we, we worship, worship money. money. In our research this week, we learned that the word for serve is sometimes translated worship. Take a look at this from Psalm 100. This is when a parallel Bible is so helpful. Yes. Make a joyful noise to the Lord, all the earth. Serve the Lord with gladness. Or shout for joy to the Lord, all the earth. Worship the Lord 
with gladness. You can see there, that that word serve can also be used for worship. Serve, worship, depending on the translation that you're looking at. So Jesus says you cannot worship God and money. Mm -hmm. So we have a couple of important questions for you and for us too. What, what do, do you, you worship? worship? And then the second question, where, where are, are your eyes focused? Are they on Jesus and on the eternal riches of heaven? Or are they focused on money and worldly wealth? So it's just about this time when people start squirming in their seats and maybe, maybe looking at their watches because no one wants to talk about money. And for those people in our church family, you are probably keenly aware of some of the financial issues we have in our church right now. And we can debate and debate about what is going on with the giving of the church. Do we not have enough money because people left? Or is it because we haven't done a sermon series on tithing? Is it because we don't pass the offering plate? I'm sure if we talked to people in the church, there'd be lots of opinions. And, and lots of ideas on what we can do differently to increase giving. Especially now since budget season is here. Yes, after church today, stay, and we're going to go over the budget, so stay. Yes, <laughs> yes. But maybe the thing we have to remember is what Helen wanted us to remember. Turn, Turn our, our eyes upon, upon Jesus. That really seems to be the only course of action here. Helen didn't write, turn your eyes upon money. That'd be a horrible hymn. Horrible hymn. We would never do no, it. No, she knew that you cannot serve God and money. If your focus is on the paycheck at the end of the week, then your focus is not on Jesus. What does the Bible say about what happens when Jesus is our focus? Listen. From Psalm 107. Let them thank the Lord for his steadfast love, for his wondrous works to the children of man, for he satisfies the longing soul, and the hungry soul he fills with good things. In John, everyone who drinks of this water will be thirsty again, but whoever drinks of the water that I will give him will never be thirsty again. Paul said, I count everything as loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. And again, in Philippians, we heard this earlier, I have learned to be content whatever the circumstances. It is Christ who is our greatest joy. It is Christ who sustains us. It is Christ who satisfies us. If Jesus says you cannot serve God and money, that means we have a decision to make. Where we put our energies, where we put our focus, where we put our time. It's, it's going, going to, to God or money. And if our faith is in God, if our eyes are turned to Jesus, then we can trust in his provision. He will provide for us. Even more than that, he, he will, will bless us. He will not fail us. We can live in his light with the full confidence that we are in his tender, loving care. And then we can serve him, we can live for him, and we can tell the world who Jesus is. His word shall not fail you, he promised. Believe him and all will be well.
to a world that is dying. His perfect salvation to tell. Turn your eyes upon Jesus. Look full in his wonderful face. And the things of earth will grow strangely dim in the 